Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Do you ever feel like there is something missing in your life? You ever have a feeling, an emptiness in your soul, in your heart of hearts? You've worked hard, you've achieved some success, you've pursued and maybe accomplished some version of the American dream, and yet it still feels like something is missing, but you, you can't quite put your finger on it. You got high test scores so you could get into a certain college, you graduated and started a career, you moved your way up some uh, corporate ladder, and yet that nagging feeling of something not quite complete is still there inside of you. Or maybe you're just getting started in college or in your career, but you look to maybe your parents or, or, or somebody that you know that's a generation ahead of you, and you look and you see the dissatisfaction in their lives as they've kind of given their lives to the rat race, and you think, is that all there is? You've tried those things that those around you told you are supposed to bring you satisfaction, pleasure, possessions. Alcohol, drugs, sex, and, and by the way, those things did bring you pleasure for a season, for a short time. And then the next partner, and you woke up and you needed the next high. And, and maybe that you went and that, the, the, the expensive clothes that you bought that you felt good about for a little while, but then you needed more, and it was never quite fully satisfying. Do you ever feel empty? When you turn off all the noise around you and it's just you and your thoughts, do you ever say things to yourself like, there's got to be more than just this? This can't be all there is to life. Maybe you would resonate with the surprising honesty from one of the highest level and most successful professional athletes to ever live. Play that clip, please, if you will. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Does that hit close to home? There's got to be more to life than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. They went on in that interview to ask him of the three Super Bowls, of course, he's won four more since then, of the three Super Bowls that you've won, which one's your favorite? And you know what he said? The next one. Maybe that's the one that will give me the fulfillment I've been looking for. Maybe that's the one that will fill this hole in my heart. Maybe that will satisfy. What is it that you think will finally satisfy you when you get it? And why do we feel this way if we're honest? Now, we're pretty good at turning up the noise in our lives and staying busy and keeping ourselves active so we don't hear that still small voice that reminds us that something's missing. But in the quiet moments when we're honest with ourselves, why do we feel that way sometimes? Why do we feel that way? Because we were created by God with a void. 
a longing and innate understanding that there is something greater than us in this world. That this life is bigger than us, and we, we understand, even though we can't always quite put our fingers on it, we understand that we were created to worship. Solomon, a man who was searching, the richest man on earth at that time, a man who was searching for meaning in life. You can read the book of Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters where he says, I'm going to try everything this life has to offer to try to find out what's finally going to satisfy me. And you know what Solomon tells us in Solomon 3, verse number 11? He says that God has set eternity in the human heart. In the human heart, there is a void, an understanding, a whole, if you will, that we understand there's something bigger than all of this that's out there. In every civilization, on every continent, throughout every period in history, men have understood that they were made to worship. So they craft their own gods. They come up with their own systems of religion. You can find unreached tribes throughout history, and they'll go, and they'll find writings, and they'll find things, and it's clear they found, they've created things that they they worship. Why do they do that? Because in our heart of hearts, we know there's something bigger than us out there. There's a purpose bigger than just the American dream out there for us. Paul said it this way to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter number one, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God has revealed certain things to us because that which may be known of God, it's manifest or it's made clear in them. For God hath showed it unto them. Inside of us we understand, here's what it says, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When we look around us, you, you, you ever in nature, you see the Grand Canyon, or you see, you go to the, the ocean and see the vastness of it, and you just stop and say, I'm pretty small in this world. There's something bigger. Well, God, in His general revelation and then His specific revelation, He wrote it in our hearts. The invisible things are made clear to us because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, so they know there's something out there, but they craft gods in their own image. Neither were thankful, but become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. Oh, we have the answers. They became fools and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. What do we do? We craft things to worship on our own. The invisible things, the fact that there is a God and He has a plan for us is innately understood by the things we can see. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. But what do we do? Understanding there is something we were created to worship, we turn to make our own gods out of man, animals, idols, and other things. In America, what gods have we crafted? In America, we've crafted gods out of ourselves. It's called humanism. And we are the ultimate end. We worship ourselves. We've crafted gods out of our stuff. It's called materialism. We live in Orange County, a place that is materially very blessed, and if we're not careful, we worship our stuff. We've crafted gods out of our own reasoning, atheism, and out of the earth, environmentalism. We worship Mother Earth instead of Father God. We craft gods out of our, in America out of our pleasure, hedonism. And yet, if we're honest, none of those religions have drawn us closer to the divine. 
None of those things have fully filled that nagging hole in our hearts, that emptiness in our souls, that God-sized void that we were born with. There is a hole in our hearts that needs to be filled, a void in our lives that we know, when we're honest, must be filled. And so much of what we do, consciously or subconsciously, is trying to fill that. Maybe this job will fill it. Maybe this new purchase will fill it. Maybe this home will fill it. Maybe this career will fill it. Maybe this achievement will fill it. Maybe this substance will fill it. Maybe this vacation will fill it. And we go on, and maybe my religion will fill it. Maybe going to church for an hour a week on Sunday morning will fill it. And we fill it with all kinds of things. This morning on Easter Sunday, 2023, I want to bring you a message that I've titled, Filling the God-Sized Void in Your Life. For the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to ask you to lock in and consider what I believe is maybe the most important truth that you ever hear, filling the God-sized void in your life. Can you give me about 30 minutes of your attention and, and ask God to speak to your heart and then agree that you will act on how He speaks and what you learn from Scripture? Do you remember what happened during the Monday Night Football game on January 2nd of this year? How many of you watch Monday Night Football most nights, most Monday nights? All right, me, just a few of us? Okay, maybe more than that. Maybe this picture will help remind you of what happened. Who is that Bills player that is tackling that Bengals player there? What's that guy's name? What is it? Yes, sir. He was watching DeMar Hamlin. Now, how many of you remember this story, even if you weren't watching Monday Night Football that, that week? DeMar Hamlin, in a freak situation, the impact to his chest as he did a tackle that that he and other players have done tens if not hundreds of thousands of times, it happened at the exact millisecond necessary to cause his heart to stop, and it took emergency personnel's quick action to resuscitate him two different times while he lied lifeless, lay lifeless on the field there. And as he lay there lifeless, what was the initial reaction by some of the strongest most successful, healthiest, and wealthiest young men on the planet. The next picture shows us almost universally, what did they do? They dropped to a knee. All across, Bills, Bengals, they said you couldn't hear anything in the, in the stadium that day during that the stance. Tens of thousands of people sat there in stunned silence. Why did they drop to a knee? Because when faced with life and death, with faced with something bigger than themselves and out of their control, that their strength that they've worked their whole lives to build, their wealth that they've earned, that they, that they have, when they realized it was all out of their control, their immediate response was to bow on a field before God and pray. They didn't care what what CNN thought or Fox News thought or MSNBC thought. They didn't care what was politically correct. They didn't care that prayer has been outlawed in schools in America. They didn't care about any of that when faced with life and death. What was their response? They dropped to a knee in prayer. Why? Because believers and unbelievers alike innately understood there was something bigger than themselves in that moment. Bill's quarterback Josh Allen said it was a spiritual awakening for him. ESPN, a network that is seemingly ever-increasing in their woke ideology, had this happen on air by one of their Christian commentators, Dan Orlovsky. Um, football gave me everything, you know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm-hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like, thoughts and prayers, and you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him, and 
I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to, it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it. It is. Damar Hamlin, right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray. Truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up Damar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully. We will continue to cover this story. We'll continue to bring you all the updates that we have. And as usual, we'll see you tomorrow on NFL Live. I'll just reiterate how secondary football is in all of this. We are thinking and praying, as you've seen here, for Damar Hamlin and his family and truly hoping for some better news. When was the last time you saw that on ESPN? Did you hear what she said at the end there? Did you hear what she said? She said how secondary football is to all of this. On a show called NFL Live. The sport they have devoted their lives to that is literally their livelihood, that is their career, what they've given their lives to studying, it is their entire life, it is how they feed their family. And what did she say the first time faced with with life and death, what did she say how secondary football is to all of this? This is something we, we hardly ever see on a national network in America, but why was it acceptable here? Because in these moments we understand there is a God-sized void that nothing else can fill. A trophy can't fill it, and millions can't fill it, and relationships can't fill it, and, and possessions can't fill it. So what did they do? They turned to Him. When faced with death, they turned to Him. But may I just say to you and to me, let's not wait until we're faced with a situation like that to turn to Him. Turn, me if you, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm number 107. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. If you're following along on a tablet or an iPhone, I'll be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. Psalm number 107. I want to read the first half of this psalm with you, or maybe the first third of it. Psalm 107. The psalmist writes in Psalm number 107, the Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Those that have been saved, speak up, and gather them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Look what it says in verse number four. What's that verb? They what, church? They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. These were people that were wandering. Verse 5, what were they? Hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. They were looking for something. They were wandering through this life. Verse 7, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. Verse 6, I'm sorry. Verse 7, and He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works 
to the children of men. Would you read verse number nine aloud with me? Ready? Begin. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul. I want you to ponder that verse right there. He's in the business of satisfying the longing soul, of filling the God-sized void that you're trying to fill with your achievement, with your reputation, with your position, with your power, with your possessions, that you're trying to fill, and maybe this next one is what it's going to be, and if I can get there, and maybe the next Super Bowl ring will be what, it get, what gives it to me, and maybe this, and maybe that. He fills the, the, the longing soul. He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. They were in a bad spot in life. Why? Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor, that they were burdened in their hearts. Why? Because they didn't acknowledge God and His Word. They fell down and there was none to help. Then look at this, verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands and sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. What is the psalmist saying? This life, what happens is when we go our own way, we wander, we find ourselves hungry and thirsty, we find ourselves longing, we find ourselves empty, we're looking for something, and what happens if when we, in our distress and in our trouble, we cry out to him, or as you heard Greg say in his video, at the high moment of his life, but where he was still empty. Did you hear him say it on that video? I didn't tell him what to say. He said, I thought I had everything, but there was still an emptiness. And when I cried unto the Lord and he saved me, he satisfied that longing. He filled that God-sized void in my heart that no yacht and no, no vehicle and no success and no achievement and no home and no respect and no anything could ever fill. We wander, we seek, we experiment, and we come up empty every time. But what does this passage tell us? Verse 9, he satisfies. What does it tell us? Verse 13, he saves, he satisfies, he saves if we call on him out of our trouble. A couple of months back, Pastor Greg Laurie of Harvest Church in Riverside invited some Orange County pastors to a private screening of his new movie, The Jesus Revolution. Maybe some of you have seen it. Much of which, that, that movement can trace its roots here to Orange County. Well, I didn't grow up in Orange County. I'll be honest, in the church I grew up in, I didn't hear a whole lot about the Jesus Revolution. I didn't know what was happening down here in Orange County. I, I didn't understand that there was a, a, a spiritual awakening amongst uh, hip, mainly hippies in the 60s and 70s, not just in Orange County, but a lot of it was central here with Calvary uh, Chapel, Costa Mesa, Pastor Chuck Smith. All of that history is brand new to me in the last five or six or seven years. In fact, one of our newest members was reached through uh, that ministry there and kind of through that time and told me his testimony and still now decades living for God, fruit that remains from, from kind of that revolution and that movement. And maybe there are others in here that would say the same. I know another one of our members was baptized in the bay there during that time on the newspaper, in the Time Magazine article, his brother is standing there in that, that article there. And, and so my wife and I didn't really know much about it, so I said, let's go over there and let's, let's learn about it. Let's learn about some, some of the history of the church and what's happened in in Orange County, uh, where we serve today, and about this spiritual awakening. And in the movie, in this clip that I'm going to show, it's just about a, a minute-long clip, a hippie believer says to Pastor Chuck Smith, it's Kelsey Grammer who's playing Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, he says, my people, and as I watched it, and I knew what I was preaching, this was about two and a half months ago, I knew what I was preaching today on Easter Sunday. 
And I watched it, and he said, my people, this hippie believer says to Pastor Smith, my people are searching for all the right things, love, fulfillment, satisfaction. They're searching for all the right things in all the wrong places. Let's play that. Jeanette tells me you're a pastor. Yes, currently. I know we must seem pretty strange. But if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. So to answer your question, how do I describe my people? They're sheep without a shepherd, chasing hard after lies. And the trouble is, your people reject them. So I ask you, Pastor, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Did you hear what he said? They're sheep. My people are sheep having no shepherd. They're searching for all the right things in all the wrong places. What what is he saying? They're trying to fill a God-sized void with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. With the hippie movement, the free love movement, they're, they're looking for love. They're looking for eternal love in earthly love. They're looking for a satisfying love in a temporary love. What is he saying? My people are, are sheep having no shepherd. What was Jesus' response to large groups of people who were trying to find answers and meaning in life? In Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 36, the Bible says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They're wandering through this life not finding their true purpose. The prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God is the payment. He's the answer. He's what we're looking for. The psalmist reminds us as wandering sheep that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He satisfies me. He fills the God-sized void. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You hear that song we were singing earlier, death was once my great opponent, but I fear no evil. Why? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is the psalmist saying? It is he who gives you protection. The shepherd protects the sheep. He gives you provision. He meets your needs. He prepares a table for you. He gives you a purpose. He he leads you beside still waters, and he gives you what you need. That which you're searching for down here in the creation can only be found in the Creator. We're trying to fill a God-sized void in our lives with things that were never intended to fill it. He's the one we've been looking for, whether we realize it or not. Our world is looking for all the right things in all the wrong places. What are we looking for? We're looking for fulfillment, aren't we? And security, and significance, and joy. Now we mistake joy sometimes for short-term pleasure, but it's really what we're trying to find is joy. And peace, isn't the world clamoring for peace? 
and hope and forgiveness and salvation. We're looking for all the right things, but those all describe the God-sized void in our lives, and what do we try to fill them with? All kinds of things like possessions, legal and illegal substances, money, achievement, education, pleasure, relationships, prestige, power, and the list could go on. And by the way, some of those things are not wrong to have, but they were never meant to fill your God-sized void. We all have possessions. We all have money. We all have relationships. Those are not wrong things to have. They're wrong things to have in the wrong priority. We, 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 we depend on these things to do that which only God can do, and we think to ourselves, surely that next job or that next car or that next girlfriend or that next boyfriend or that next degree or that next raise will finally fill that hole in my heart, author David Foster Wallace, before committing suicide at the age of 46, said this when talking about his novel, Infinite Jest, a novel which Time Magazine called one of the 100 best English novels of the 20th century. Here's what he said. He said, there's something particularly sad about it, something that doesn't have very much to do with physical circumstances or the economy or any of the stuff that gets talked about in the news. It's more like a stomach-level sadness. What is he describing? A God-sized void. I see it in myself and my friends in different ways. It manifests itself as a kind of lostness. The sadness that this book is about and that I was going through was a real American type of sadness. I was white, upper middle class, obscenely well-educated, had had way more career success than I could have legitimately hoped for, and was sort of adrift. A lot of my friends were the same way. Some of them were deeply into drugs. Others were unbelievable workaholics. Some were going to singles bars every night. You could see it played out in 20 different ways, but it's the same thing. I get the feeling that a lot of us privileged Americans, as we enter our early 30s, have to find a way to put away childish things and confront stuff about spirituality and values. What was he trying to describe? There's an emptiness, and I've achieved everything this world says would fulfill me, and I'm still empty, and I'm not the only one. All my friends the same, and some of them are looking for it in relationships, and others in work and in money, others in, in drugs, and others in all of these things. And what does he say? There's this reality that we haven't figured out. We are sheep wandering without a shepherd. We're trying to fill a God-sized void with everything except God, and we are failing miserably. Sadly, this author took his own life several years later. The Bible is full of people who tried to fill their God-sized void with something other than God. What did the Apostle Paul try to fill his God-sized void with? Power and religion. Paul said, I'm, I, Paul was a great religious man, but he, would, had, he did not know God. He did not know Jesus Christ. He was a leader in the Jewish religion, and he literally put Christians to death. He was respected everywhere that he went. He, he, was the, he was standing there, the first Christian martyr that's recorded, Stephen. He was standing there consenting unto the death of Christians. Paul had great power. He had climbed the Jewish religious corporate ladder. He was a great success. He tried to fill that God-sized void with power and religion. Anybody here? Maybe you can relate. What about the rich young ruler? He tried to fill it with possessions and position. 
He was rich, and he was a ruler. He would have been in maybe Forbes 30 under 30 list, and, and, and he, he had done a great job. But what did Jesus say? He came and asked Jesus, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus said unto him, if thou will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. No, this stuff's too important to me. This stuff I'm filling my God-sized void with, I can't, I can't, I don't have any room for God. What did the woman at the well try to fill her void with? With relationships and promiscuity. Do we see that in our society today? He, Jesus told her, he asked her, can you give me some water? And she said, what? We don't talk to each other. Jews don't talk to Sumerians. What are you, why, why are you talking to me? And Jesus said, I asked you for water, but if you knew who I was and you asked me for water, I'd give you living water that you'd never thirst again. What did he say? I would satisfy your life in a way that none of those five husbands that you had ever satisfied your life, and in a way that the man you're living with now that is not your husband, that you're trying to find that satisfaction in. Jesus is the answer you've been looking for, woman at the well. How did Solomon, the wealthy king, he tried to fill it with women and wealth and every earthly pleasure that the world had to offer. Now, 2,000, and some of these even longer, but with Solomon, 2,000, 3,000 years later, what are we trying to fill our God-sized voids with? The list looks kind of familiar, doesn't it? Power and religion and possessions and position and relationships and promiscuity and women and wealth and every earthly pleasure we can think of. Not a lot has changed, and the answer is still the same as well. As I think about the God-sized void in our lives, the hole in our hearts that only God can satisfy, I think about a little baby toy like this. How many of you have ever had where, where you got the different color shapes and you got the, uh, the shapes? Anybody ever had something like this? Might not be a wooden one, might be a plastic one, but something like this in your home. Anybody? You've had one of these in your home or maybe still do, right? Most kids growing up have something like this, right? And uh, You've got, the, it's got all the different shapes, and it's got one. There's one that fits in that shape, and it's supposed to go in there. But have you ever watched a toddler do this, or maybe a little infant? And sometimes they know the right shape where it's supposed to go, and other times, what do they do? They take the wrong-sized thing, and they go, and they fill it, and it goes. And by the way, sometimes it works. It goes in, but it doesn't completely fill it. It's not what was it, it was intended. This one is not intended to fill in there. It has a hole that it was intended to fill, right? And, and sometimes they'll do that, or other times they'll take one and, and they'll, they'll, they'll bring it and they'll come and, and they won't be able to get it in. They'll just sit there and try to shove the wrong piece into the wrong hole, right? And they'll shove it and shove it. And by the way, sometimes we do both of what they do. We put the wrong thing into that God-sized hole and it doesn't quite fully fill it, but it feels kind of right. It goes in. But it's not, it's not filling everything that we need. And other times, we take stuff that we know shouldn't be in there, and we just try to shove it in there. Maybe if I shove it hard enough, it'll go in. And here's the reality. For every one of these spaces, there are, on some of them, there are multiple ones that will fit, but there's one that's designed to fit. You know what was interesting as I was looking at this? I ordered this a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, knowing I was going to use it as a brief illustration on Easter Sunday. And I didn't know it when I ordered it, but it's interesting. I noticed as I was looking at all of them, there's one that's the shape of a heart. And you know what I did? I took every, I don't know how many there are, 20 shapes or so. I took every other shape, and there's not another single shape that fills the heart one. There's not another shape that even goes into the heart one. There's only one of these 20 that fit the heart one. And you know what it is? It's the one that was created to fit the heart one. And I thought, 
How appropriate. Because sometimes, like the little kid, we put the wrong one in the, we, we take some of these things and try to fill that God-sized void, and other times we try to jam something that shouldn't be there, but the reality is there's only one. There's only one thing that was designed to fill that God-sized void in your life. We look for fulfillment in earthly love, and God says, accept my eternal love. We look for it in human possessions, and God says, I have a heavenly inheritance for you. We look for satisfaction from God's creations, and He says, stop looking to my creation and start worshiping me, your creator. So what will satisfy the God-sized void in your life? May I suggest to you this morning, it's not 12 steps, or 10 commandments, or five pillars, or seven sacraments. It's one person, and His name is Jesus. It is only another God-sized void that can fill your God-sized void. What do I mean by that? What is a void? A void is kind of a hole or an empty space, right? And it is another God-sized void. We have a picture of it there. It's what we celebrate today is that God-sized void of an empty tomb. That God-sized void is the only thing, just like this heart is the only shape that fills the heart one. That is the only thing that will ever fill the God-sized void in your life is that God-sized void that we celebrate some 2,000 years later. What are we celebrating today? Maybe some of you, you're here, and to you Easter means uh, Easter bunnies and Easter egg hunts, and it may be a day off work or a day off school. I know Newport Christian parents, we didn't have it. We're going to take Good Friday off next year. Don't save your emails, all right? And, uh, <laughs> and maybe it's a day off school, and maybe it's one of the greatest things about Easter, Reese's peanut butter eggs, all right? And the second greatest thing about Easter, peeps. Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. Peeps are amazing. Thank you. See me later, all right? <laughs> and and here's, here's the thing, maybe that's what it means to you, but what is Easter about? Easter is about the fact that the God of heaven, the God of the universe loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to come walk on this earth, to live 33 sinless years, to live a perfect life. He took your sin and mine. He had no sin to die. He died a criminal's death upon the cross. And why did He do that? It was not to pay for the payment of your sin. What the Bible says, the wages or payment of sin is death. And he had to, somebody had to pay the payment of our sin, which is death, and it's either you or Him. And Jesus said, I'll gladly go to the cross for you. I'll die on the cross for you. And then the rest of that verse in Romans 6 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what do we celebrate? That He didn't stay on that middle cross. He didn't stay there after He died. And he, by the way, they didn't take His life. He gave up the ghost. He willingly laid down His life for you and for me. And they buried Him in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, what did He do? He conquered death. He rose from the dead. Why? And that God-sized void, what it represents, a resurrected Savior, is the only thing that will ever bring you lasting fulfillment. What is the significance of Easter? We've read this already this morning. Paul said it this way to the church at Corinth. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, empty, pointless, worthless, and your faith is also vain. He said, and we're false witnesses of God because we preach uh, that He raised from the dead. Whom he raised not, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. What does the word vain mean? It means empty, pointless, worthless. If there is no empty tomb, then our faith is empty. But if there is an empty tomb, the inverse is also true. If there is an empty tomb, then it's the only object of our faith that matters. It's the only thing that will fill that void in our lives. Jesus gave this invitation in Matthew. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
All ye that labor and are heavy laden, you're burdened down, you're working hard, you're trying to make something of this life, trying to figure out where does the fulfillment come from longer than just one night or one high or one season. After the car gets old and the expensive clothes, I've worn them for a while and it goes out of style, and after I reach the top of that corporate ladder and after I do that and I do, what else you labor and you're heavy laden? What did he say? All of you that are searching, you're burdened down. You can't figure out what this is all about. Come unto me, Jesus said, and I will give you what, church? I'll give you what? Peace. Fulfillment. Purpose. I'll fill that hole you're trying to fill. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Are you working hard to make a life for yourself? Christ is the rest you're looking for. And I close. I'll wrap it up. Here's my question to you. Will you say yes to him today? Will you let him fill that God-sized void in your life this morning? For me, it was 35 years ago, next month, that I walked into a Bible-preaching church for the first time, and I heard about the one who died for me. And I placed my faith and trust in Christ alone, and I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but by faith, I accepted him as my Savior, and my life was forever changed. My purpose was forever changed. My peace was forever changed. You saw the video of Greg, and Greg filled that God-sized void in his life two years ago today on Easter Sunday here at Liberty. What about you? Will you say yes to Jesus? By the way, I know there are many that are sitting here saying, I already have. If you already have, are you living like a person that's found the answer to life? Are you living with the peace and fulfillment, or do people look at you and you're just as restless, just as fearful, just as dissatisfied, just as covetous, just as deceitful, just as, as, as wicked as the world? What does that tell us? We don't really believe he's all that we need. We sing Christ is all I need, but we don't believe it. If we're not careful, we're searching after all the same things. We say we found the answer, but we're looking for all the right things in all the wrong places, sometimes even as believers. And maybe this Easter Sunday is a call to you to resurrender and to say, Christ, you truly are all I need, and my priorities are going to reflect that, and my schedule's going to reflect that, my budget's going to reflect that, my priorities, my, my, what, I'm, what I'm living my life for is going to reflect that, because you are the one that can fill my God-sized void. Today, my challenge to you is this, choose to find your fulfillment in Him. Be honest, between you and God. Are you 100% sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Is Christ your Savior? Has there been a time and a place where you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? Or if you were honest, you would say, Pastor Ryan, there's a God-sized void that I've tried to fill in all kinds of different ways. I've tried to put the X in the heart and the square and the, the oval. I've tried to put all different things, and it's still empty. I can't fill it. Make today the day that you give your life to Christ. And if you've been saved, but you've gotten away from him, you've grown cold, you've started going after the things that this world has to offer more than you have uh, that, for what God has to offer, then my challenge to you today is to resurrender. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. 
Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.